Lead me closer, Lord, I need to meet you there. This morning I want to speak to, on, um, on a topic that we've already been kind of hitting, and it's on warfare, actually. Um, and I wonder this morning, I wonder if how many of us really are aware of the battles that we're in every day? How many do we really, how many of us really think about the strategies that are formed against us? Do we appreciate the fact that we have a very powerful opponent that is coming at us every day without compromise? He never compromises his message of destruction, but yet he expects us to compromise our message of life. But he never compromises. The devil never gives in and says, yep, I'm going to give you life today. He is always on the mission. He's always on the mark of death and destruction, and, and he's got you in the crosshairs. Do you know that? Now, are you encouraged today? <laughs> is this an encouraging message? It's going to be. But I'm telling you, I think most of us, most of us in our churches around this country are lulled into a sleepy pattern of denial because we've heard this all before. We've heard the message, and we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. We're hoping that some positive thinking attitude and some just maintaining an upbeat beat, an, um, an upbeat method, a methodology is going to just make it all go away, and we can just ignore it because we're just tired of talking about it. But I'm telling you, we will, it will not go away on its own. Scott already talked about it. Our country's not going to get better on its own unless we, unless you and I as Christian men and women take an active position of warfare. It's not going to get better on its own. And this is not negative preaching, by the way. And this is not a way of, of bringing discouragement to us. Really, this is a preparation. This is a balanced diet because we need to know what the enemy's bringing against us so we can be prepared for what he brings. Scripture is very clear that our adversary is out to destroy us. He is relentless. He's like a roaring lion that is out to devour you, and you are wounded prey. We just watched Shark Week a few weeks ago. Anybody watch Shark Week? I love Shark Week. But, you know, you get a little bit of blood in the water, and sharks have this ability to smell blood a long ways away. And when they smell blood and then when they hear a, or, or can sense the, a, a dying fish on the surface, they just flock to it and they go after it because they're going to devour it. Well, that's exactly like, that's a picture of the enemy. He smells the weakness, he smells our fear, and he comes after us. And we need to know how to defend ourselves. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to devour. Let's just pray for a minute. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Help us to have proper discernment and proper wisdom in how we talk about this enemy. That we do not give him authority. We just disarm him through the power of Jesus Christ. We have to recognize who he is, but we do not let him... Uh, dominate our thinking. So help us, I pray, that we would learn in Jesus' name. Amen. So if Scripture says this, aren't we wise to uncover his strategies? Aren't we wise to have a better understanding? It's interesting to know that Satan has had 
thousands of years to tune up and to hone his skill sets and strategies on us. He said thousands of years and thousands and millions and billions of people to practice on. And then you and I come along the scene and he's pretty skilled. He's pretty ready to go. We come on and we're, we're young. I mean, we can be 100 years old and young when it comes to his experiences. So we have to realize that we must have some source beyond ourselves. We cannot match his strategies. We and ourselves cannot match his skill sets. We and ourselves need to have a higher source, and that is God our Father, not just a higher source, the man upstairs. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. But we need to recognize it, and it's also interesting to know that Satan is ever learning new ways to destroy. He's not omniscient. He is a learned creature, just like all angels and all other people are. We're learned. We learn. He's not omniscient. But Satan does know how to read, and he does know how to formulate plans of attack, and he does know how to adjust according to the situations. You have to recognize that, that Satan has read the Bible cover to cover probably multiple times. He knows what the Bible says. He's totally aware of what Scripture says. And because of that, he knows how to take each verse and twist it a little bit so that he has the advantage. He will not read it for the truth that it is. He will read it to figure out how he can twist it. Because we are gullible people. And if we don't truly understand Scripture the best we can through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the devil will run all over us with twisted theology. How many religions do we have out there today that are twisted just a little bit different than what the Bible says? There's a lot of cults out there that started off right. There's a lot of main religions out there that started off maybe real close. They even recognize who Jesus is, but they don't recognize what he has to do for them. They just recognize Jesus. And so there's a lots of reasons, and there's a lot of... A lot of um, plans that we need to know about so that we know what to take the, our proper course of action against him. According to an author and a pastor that I've read recently, his name is Jason Tanksley, he says this. He said, sadly, too many have been caught off guard, not because the word fails to instruct us to be alert, but because the instructions were ignored and complacency set in, resulting in disaster. Scripture gives, gives us clear warning against becoming sedentary and self-reliant when it comes to spiritual attacks. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Hmm. It seems a little bit insulting, doesn't it? I mean, you could say, come on, Mike. Are you insinuating that I'm a weak Christian? Are you insinuating that I'm on the verge of falling? Is that what I'm saying? Are you ins am I insinuating that? Well, I'm just reading God's Word. Paul gave us as an example of how the Israelite people, how they fell in the desert, and they wandered 40 years until the whole generation died off because of the way that they did not follow through on what God's plans were. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 10 through, or uh, verses 1 through 5. And in the NIV, it starts off saying this. Paul starts off saying, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, 
Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is dangerous. So he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact. And I'm going to read the next passages in the, in the message translation just because it's a little bit different, but it all means the same thing. Listen in on the message translation, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the, by the providential, providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain, for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. Isn't it interesting here? Scott said it. God is love. God is love. He loves us. God loved the Israelite people, but he wasn't pleased with them. So often we think that God's love means an automatic pleasing. That because God loves me, that he's always pleased with me, no matter how I live. That's the, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> that's the wrong answer. Just because God loves me doesn't mean that he's pleased with me if I'm not living right. If I'm not looking at my actions and making sure that my actions line up with his word, then God may love me, but God's not pleased with me. Our actions really do matter. Then Paul goes on to say that how he's now going to use the Israelites as an example for us. And that no matter how much a person sees or experiences God's power, no matter how long they've been a Christian, no matter how long they've been in church, no matter how long the person has been, they might have seen the greatest of miracles like the Red Sea splitting, like water coming from a rock, like manna just appearing on the ground, like thousands of quail coming into the camp during the day, like a cloud that they would lead by day and a pillar of fire by night. No matter how many great miraculous things they see, Paul says, be careful that you don't fall because we can miss it if we're not careful, just like they did. Going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 12, again, staying in the message translation, Paul says, the same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First the people partied, then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. Verses 11 and 12. These are all warning markers. Danger. In our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. 
the message makes it pretty clear here that no person is exempt from falling trap to the, to the, to the temptation of the enemy and the strategy of the enemy and recognizing that he is desiring to kill and destroy us. Why do we spend time like this in God's Word teaching about the strategies of the devil? Well, because there are those sitting in churches, this church and churches all across this country, that people come in week after week that never or rarely open their Bibles and personal Bible study throughout the week to learn on their own. There are many people that sit here today all around the country, maybe even in the same room, that never open your Bible throughout the week. So if we don't teach about it on Sunday, when are you going to learn about it? See, it's not enough for us to come in on Sunday mornings and hear a pastor teach or a Sunday school teacher teach to be enough for our Christian education. And if that's not enough, if we're not adequately prepared for the onslaughts of the devil, remember, he read the Bible. He's an expert in Bible theology. And if, if we're thinking that our, our, what we get on Sunday mornings is going to be enough to compete against him and to prepare ourselves to, to be able to stand against him, you're sadly mistaken. You must read God's Word. You must read God's Word. We must know that there is more to living than just what I think or just what I heard when I was a child or this is what I was taught in Sunday school. We need to have daily revelations of God's Word. Of God's word. We need to be reading the Bible and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring it alive time after time again because, you know, I can read the same passage four or five times and by the tenth time something new comes in. And that's the thing that I needed to hear for that day because the devil was bringing an attack that God knew about. See, God knows my future. He knows where I'm at in my daily walk, and he knows what I need to have from his word to protect me for that day. And if I'm not in his word, I'm not giving him the opportunity to protect me. Does that make sense? There's reasons why we read God's word. And it's not just to be a good little boy or a good little girl. It's to protect ourselves from an enemy that is out to destroy us. Jason Tanksley goes, he says again, he says, the reason so many end up falling, falling is due to tactical ignorance in the midst of the attack. An alert warrior sees the attack coming and responds accordingly. It's when we fail to observe, discern, and dodge the assault that damage occurs. So this morning I want to speak on three areas, three major areas that the enemy focuses on to destroy us. And the more that we are aware of his plans to attack, the more we are able to stand against him. That's a fact. Tactic number one is that he wants to break the relationship between me and God. Tactic number one is he wants to, he wants to destroy communication. He wants to destroy my ability to communicate to God and God to me. Communication between physical fighting elements, units, whether it's military or a police force. It's, it's vital, isn't it, Scott, that you have good radio communications at all times with your other police uh, and other cruisers and also with a home base. Vital. Having the ability to communicate between those that are in the fight and their tactical base is vital to the success of the operation. Having the ability to call in an airstrike 
or to know when the airstrike's coming so you can get out. <laughs> you know, we've all seen it. You know, we've, seen, we've seen the movies of Vietnam, and we've seen the, the, the real-life issues where they call it in, and, and they bring the bombers and the, and, and, the, and, and the fighting, you know, the aircraft in, and they just obliterate the area. And if you didn't know they were coming, you would be part of friendly fire. So you've got to get out of the way, or you've got to be able to call it in. Or the need for a medical unit. We need, we need medical assistance. Or the status of the front lines giving, where are they moving? Where, where are they going? So we can radio in. See, communications is vital if we're going to win. The enemy will do everything he can to break this communication down. The enemy, physically, he'll try to destroy the communication lines of an army, of a military, and spiritually, the devil will try to destroy the communication lines that I have with God, my Father, knowing that if, I can, if he can break that communication, that he'll, he has a great strategy against me. And in a spiritual attack, the enemy will focus on cutting all forms of communication with God and his people. And this comes in various forms. This may come in a, you may just lose your desire to pray and read God's word. It just may not be fun anymore. I know when we're first Christians, maybe we're hungry for God's word. You may be cut off or feel abandoned or isolated from people that are close to you. And when you become isolated and, and, and alone, you become an easy target of the enemy to bring further personal attacks and to wear you down. And, and it becomes much easier for the enemy to place thoughts of defeat and, and discouragement into your mind when you're off in your own little world. You know, so many men and women will say, I don't need to come to church. I've heard it said many times that I can... I can worship God in my fishing boat. I can worship God in a golf course. I can worship God in my hunt tree stand. Yeah, maybe. I'm not saying you can't. But why did Jesus say, forsake not gathering to come together? Why did he clearly create the church? He created us because we needed to be in unity. We need to be together. We need to be protecting each other. We need to have each other's back. We need each other. We need people. We are to be in continual communication. We need to be understanding how important it is that we continually be in a relationship with our Father. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 and 18 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all situations or circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually. That sounds like communication to me. It sounds like we're always to be plugged in. It doesn't give me an opportunity to say, oh, I'm taking a day off, God. I'm not going to communicate today. I'm going to go my own way today. I'm not going to rejoice today. That's not what God's Word says. We need to recognize that our God is our source of strength, and, and He gives us the direction in the battle, and we're to be constantly on guard waiting for him, calling out to him. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He's always on guard. He's always ready for us. Psalm 121, 1 through 4. I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel or he who watches over Charlevoix or your life, wherever you live, Cincinnati, wherever you live, will neither slumber nor sleep. God is always on guard. That's why I need to stay in communication with him because he's always, ready. He's always listening. He's always communicating. It's not God's end that fails. 
It ends on my end. I'm the breaker of it, or Satan breaks it on my end. He doesn't break it on God's end. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can we be effective? Can you be effective? Can I be effective in our Christian life in the battles that we face if we're not in constant prayer and Bible reading throughout our week? Do you really think that you can be standing against the wiles of the enemy if you're not constantly in communication with God? Let me think think of it this way. We need to have spiritual food to maintain a spiritual life. You need to have physical food to maintain a physical life. How many times do you eat a week? How many times do you eat a day? What would happen if you stopped eating for a few days? Stop drinking water for a few days. Well, most of us would lose a little weight. We'd probably need to lose anyways. But besides that, what happens to you physically when you stop eating? You get weak. You lose some mental edge. You get kind of shaky. Your blood sugar goes out of whack. You're not, you're not able to discern things well. You're not able to drive well. You, 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 there's a lot of things that happen to our bodies phys- physically when we don't eat and drink on a regular basis. Well, can I say the same thing happens spiritually? That when you don't eat and drink spiritually, that you get weak spiritually? You don't think well spiritually? You don't discern well spiritually? You're not really tuned into what's going on around you spiritually when you don't spiritually keep yourself healthy? It's the same thing. So why do we concern ourselves about physical food and we don't concern ourselves about spiritual food? I think we need to really think about that and try to figure out how do we maintain our spiritual life in a way that we can become disciplined in our spiritual walk. And, and that doesn't mean that we um, become legalistic in it. No, you, you can miss a day, I'm sure, here and there. I can, I can understand that. But that doesn't become the rule of your life. No, your, your context should be, I'm going to get fed today spiritually. I'm going to get fed today. I need to have that communication. I need to make sure that my communication is open, that I don't allow myself to become undisciplined in my spiritual life and become weakened by that undisciplined nature. Tactic number two. Attack on personal integrity. The enemy will attack you personally on your personal character and your personal integrity. He'll, he'll play games in your mind and in your thinking process that creates fear and chaos, and he'll try to take all your hope away. He will come and he'll say, I'm too big and you're too small. You're hopeless. You're a puny little man, and I'm a big opponent, and I'm going to destroy you. One of the ways a physical army defeats their enemy is to create an atmosphere that makes the enemy think and believe that he's being defeated. And this will often lead into defeat itself. In other words, if an attacking army can make their enemy think that he's outnumbered, he's outmanned, he's outmaneuvered, that he has no chance of getting off the hill, then either that enemy will either run, give up, or be killed. Because once he can play the mind game, once he can defeat you in your mind, he's won half the battle because you stop fighting. You just give up. You surrender the white flag. I, I surrender. And who knows if the, he really had more than two people out there. <laughs> you know, you know it, we don't know. That's the enemy. Satan has similar strategies against us. He, he is a good liar, and he is very good at it. He, he is a very good liar. 
And he'll do everything he can to convince you that you're not enough, that, you're, that he's too big and he's too overwhelming and you don't have a chance to defeat him because of who he is. And he's going to try to do everything he can to put in your mind the fact that you've already lost before you even start. The devil throws darts of fear and failure into the hearts of men. And if these darts stick, if they hit home, it won't be long until that fearful heart breeds failure. And then a vicious cycle begins because that cycle will go fear of failure brings failure, which brings more fear, which brings more failure, which brings more fear. And before long, you're in a cycle of fear, failure, feel, fear, failure, and you get paralyzed in a mindset that you can't break because the enemy has put in this thought process in here is that you just don't have the ability to break through. So therefore, just give up because I've already defeated you. That's what the devil wants you to think. Fear is a major thief of peace in a person's life. If I'm fearful, I'm not peaceful. A scared person is not a peaceful person. A scared person is on edge all the time, looking around, scared, nervous, doesn't know where to go. It won't be long and before total chaos sets in. With no control, no hope for the future, hopelessness soon settles in. And a strong desire to, do, to give up. Can I say this is especially true for those that are struggling with life-controlling addictions and lifestyles? How many times have you resolved or have heard people resolve that this is the last time I'm visiting that porn site? This is the last time I'm going to eat that piece of cake. This is the last time that I'm going to take that last drink. This is the last cigarette I'm ever smoking. This is the last, this is the last. We, we have these things and because the problem gets so big that we just can't quite break through it. But can I encourage you this morning by saying that God is more faithful than your weakness. God is more faithful than your weakness. And he sees your sincere attempts to take control back in your life. He sees it. And if you will just ask him and trust him and say, all right, Father, this is my last one. By the, by the help of the Holy Spirit, this is the last time I'm going to that site. This is the last time that I'm allowing my mind to daydream in that way. This is the last time I'm taking that habitual thing, whatever it is. This is, and, I'm, and I'm doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in my own way. I am recognizing, devil, that God is bigger than you are. My problem is not b as big as God. We said it last week that so many times we want to tell God how big our problem is rather than telling our problem how big our God is. Amen. And we need to start putting our problem in proper perspective. Our problem is not that big. We allow it to get big because we allow the enemy to have the victory in our mind to say, oh, you can't get out of it. And you need to start saying, yes, I can get out of it. Yes, I can break that habit. Yes, I can. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I can break that habit. Devil, stop lying to me. Is it going to be hard? Absolutely, it's going to be hard. But understand you're in warfare and understand that God is your source and he will be there for you and he will take care of you if you will just trust him with that. John 14, 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Put your faith in God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Start speaking to yourself the way Jesus spoke. 
Start speaking to the problem and say, I will not be defeated by that. Do not let my heart be troubled. Devil, you do not have authority in my life. You do not have the authority in this habit. You do not have authority in this addiction. I'm tired of playing, being played this way. And put your foot down and get angry with, with the enemy. Get serious about it. John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of the world is coming, but he has no hold over me. If Jesus can say he has no hold over him by the power of Jesus Christ that's living in you, you can say the same thing. Devil, you have no hold over me. Addiction, you have no hold over me. I can break it by the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth with a, with a very specific mission, and that is to destroy the devil and his work on earth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He came to destroy the devil's work. He didn't come to play with it. He didn't come to compromise with it. He came to destroy it. So we have one to destroy us. Well, our God is going to destroy him. That's what he came for. So we need to get to the point in our spiritual warfare that we are expecting and anticipating the problems to come, but yet we are going to be victorious in the midst of them. We are not going to let him come in and deceive us and to take the victory because we already have it. We are more powerful than the enemy as I remain in Christ. As I remain in Christ, connected to the vine, I'm more powerful. Tactic number three. Tactic number one was to break communications with God, between me and God. Tactic number two was for the devil to put in me a, a defeated mindset already and to attack my personal integrity. Tactic number three is to destroy relationships between men, to come in and destroy relationships amongst the church, to that I would be backbiting you and you'd be backbiting me and you're not trusting me and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trusting you. The enemy will create in a physical war, the enemy will, will create a division and confusion among the ranks so their focus is on themselves rather than on the real enemy. That he'll come in and he'll get you focused on, the, on, on yourselves or other people rather than on Satan. A military unit that is not in unity or that, and, it's, and, it, and is confusion and is in confusion will not operate effectively together and they're easily defeated. If there's no cohesiveness in the unit, if there's no sense of unity, saying that uh, covering each other's back, you know, Scott, I, there's such a um, such a sense of community within a police force, isn't there? You just know you're going to go there. You're going to cover your buddy's back, no matter what happens. You're going to put yourself at risk to cover your buddy. You know, and that's the way we need to be in Christianity. Where are we? We see a struggling brothers and, and, Christ, and uh, sister in Christ. Are we going to their defense to protect them? Are we putting ourselves at risk to protect them? Or we, do we go to kick them? So often the enemy will do whatever he can to break our bond of unity together. He will focus on, on getting the body um, to lose unity and become disgruntled with each other. And then the backbiting starts. And then it's just a matter of time and the body falls apart. People attack people. And when they do that, they lose the focus of who our real enemy is. Our enemy is not each other. Division is created quite often by offenses and are a prime tool of the enemy to destroy us. You know, it's, no, 
It's no coincidence that we've spent all this time over the past few weeks talking about offensive, the bait of Satan by John Bevere. We talked about that because the devil uses offended people and offenses amongst people to destroy us. Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We will destroy each other by our own stupidity, by our own desire to hurt somebody. It's just crazy. And when, when the people of God know better, why do we allow offense to settle amongst us? Why do, we, why do we know, why do we allow the devil to come in and stir the spot, so to speak, and, and, and we all spend all this time offending and being offended by brothers and sisters in Christ? It's time for us to wake up, church. It's time for us to wake up and know who the real enemy is. And it's not the one sitting next to you. It's not the one across the room, and it's not the one you're going home with today in the car. The enemy is Satan. Ephesians chapter 6, we, read, we talked about this earlier. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand and after you've done everything else to stand. The devil is our enemy. He alone is our enemy. There is no man. You may not like everybody, but just because you don't like him doesn't mean he's your enemy. <laughs> Do you realize that? Just because you don't like somebody. Like and love are different, by the way, just so you know that. We love everybody. Because I don't want, by the definition of love, means I, I want no man to go to hell. No man to ever have to, have to face that fate. But that doesn't mean that my personality m matches up with everybody. My personality isn't always the same as your personality. Sometimes we may have dislikes. Liking and loving are not the same, so don't get bought up in that. Even though you don't like them, they're not your enemy. Church, we're all in the same boat. We're all in this together. We need to help each other. We need to support each other. We need to put our petty little disagreements behind us and, and learn to, to, to move forward knowing that I need you and you need me and we need to be together in this and we need to stop fighting internally. And I'm not saying we have a lot of fights in this church, but, but there are. People are people. You get more than two or three people in a room and you're going to have some disagreements. You're going to have some potential fights. But we have to realize that we can't turn ourselves on each other because when we do that, we, we, we're distracted by who the real enemy is. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, For the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray, so that you may communicate. Above all, love each other deeply so that we don't have an offense coming between people because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love says, I can see how I can forgive you. I can see how I don't have to hold that against you. And thank you for forgiving me in the same way. We must settle in our hearts not to be offended. Offense ultimately ends up in division and confusion, and that's where the enemy is strongest. He knows that if he can put an odd between me and you, that eventually 
We're going to dislike each other. Eventually, we're going to have a problem. Eventually, there's going to be disagreements. Disgrunt- uh, we're going to get disgruntled. Bitterness. Boy, you start getting bitterness in a relationship, and you've got a real problem. Bitterness is a real problem, and that's exactly where he wants to take us. Jackie, would you come? And we're going to begin to conclude this today. But as we conclude, we must realize that the battle we are in is one that we must know that we will win if we keep Christ in the center of it. It's, it's the best thing we can do is to learn Christ's commands. Learn what he wants us to do. And as I learn his commands and do the things he asks me to do, I can win the battle that way. I will not win the battle if I'm not obeying Christ's commands. Just so you know that. He is not, Christ is not coming back for a rogue Christian, for a person that says, I'll figure it out my own way. That's not who Christ is coming back for. He's coming back for the body of Christ, an unblemished body of Christ that is in unity together, that follows his words, follows his commands, and knows them. And how do we know them besides we need to get in the Word of God? So this morning, can I just encourage you, if you haven't been in the Word of God, if that's not part of your daily ritual, and ritual I can say that because it needs to become a habit. There's a lot of bad habits in our life, so take a good habit. A good habit is reading God's Word. And so I just have to encourage you as much as I can this morning for you to pick it up. Pick up God's Word. And and there may be some here that say, well, I don't read well. I, I just, I don't, it just doesn't, I can't read well. I, I have a hard, I struggle with it. I don't care how much you read, just read something. Read something, because as you begin to read something, the Holy Spirit will make that something alive. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to be victorious in your Christian walk. You just need to be a Bible person. You need to be a Jesus person. You need to be a prayer of some level of time. Now, here's what will probably happen. The more you start to read, the more revelation you get, the more you're going to want to read. And the more revelation you're going to get. And the more you pray, the more you're going to want to pray because the more you see God showing up. But he can't do anything until you start. you got to start. You have to go somewhere. You really don't have the option. You really don't have the option. Think about this really clearly. You really don't have the option to say, I'm a Christian person, but I don't read God's Word. Think about it. So many times we will take and we will look at, it's good for somebody else. It's good for them. But why isn't it good for me? Why? Why doesn't it come here? Why doesn't it come home? Lawrence? You know, Mike's talking about reading God's Word. A few years ago, when I first accepted Christ, and that was one of my worst things in school, that I couldn't read. And I can remember starting to read Scripture at home with kids and I fumbled and I couldn't get through them. And then there was one day that I had to get up in front and read the scripture. And my wife was afraid for me to get up here because she knew I couldn't read. But God gave me every word of that piece of scripture as I read it through. And I don't read many books today, but I do read the word of God. And God will help you with every word 
that you want to read with his scriptures. Amen. Thank you. John 14, 23 and 24 says this. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make their home with him, make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Pretty clear instruction. The question is, how do you know what he's saying? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. How do you know what he's teaching if you're not reading? I, I wish I was good enough to be all that I could be for you. I wish that I could, you could come to church on Sunday and say, I, I got everything God wanted me to get from Mike. It would make my ego really big and I would really feel really cool. But here's the deal. It's not about me. I can't do that. You have to take responsibility for what you read about what goes into your life. And if you're not doing that, can I just tell you, can I warn you, can I encourage you, can I call you? You need to read God's word. The first tactic was break and destroy relationships. Secondly, to attack your personal integrity by bringing fear and chaos. Thirdly, to destroy relationships with other people through offenses and bitterness. Today, my concern, my prayer is that we will make a fresh commitment to defeat the enemy by being aware of his strategies and will make every effort beginning with committing time with God. Spend time with God. That's the beginning of it all. Take some time. Pray. Get in a quiet time. Develop a time where you can go in the closet and just pray. Open your Bible. Read. Let him begin to minister to you. Let him bring a revealed knowledge to you. And I can guarantee you that God will come through on every one of his promises to you. He will not leave you there alone. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your revealed knowledge that comes to us. We thank you for the way you watch over us and protect us. And Lord, now I pray that we would be on guard that we would put on our spiritual clothes, our spiritual warfare, our uniforms today, and that we would stand. We would get in and learn your word, that we know what to stand on, and that we would allow you to give us the ability to, to fight the battle effectively, purposefully, victoriously, because you've already defeated the enemy. We just need to know it. We need to walk into it. We need to make our claim in it. And we need to then thank you for your, for your victory in our hearts and our lives. So I pray, Father, that for all of us today, as we go to our homes here, that you will strengthen us and you will bless us and you will encourage us and you will give us the strength to truly be victorious in the name of Jesus. And everybody said with me, amen. Amen. It's a done deal. Have a great day today. Enjoy the Lord.